Man, it is, it is good to be with you here today, church, um, as we open up God's Word. Let me find my place. Yeah, so, so as we start um, a new series, uh, Kingdom Come. In this series, we're going to take a deeper look at understanding our present in light of God's future. So, because when we don't really understand what is to come, we truly don't understand the task at hand. Um, and I would compare this to like, if you were to work for Michael Scott and he was to give you an assignment. And if you don't know that, that's, that's the office. And, and the people in the show like really never really have any idea what they're doing. But maybe a, maybe a better reference here. Um, I think one time uh, I was given a, a company credit card at a place I worked at, and uh, I had a task given to me. It was to go and get breakfast. So like any young man would do, you go and get some Casey's breakfast pizza because it's fire. And uh, so I thought I was getting pizza for like a dozen people, but it turns out like I didn't know what the, the end task was. Like there were actually going to be 40 people there. So I grabbed a dozen pizzas, and I actually come back to tons of people there, and I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I have two pizzas, and I'm, like, slicing it down. Like, everybody's getting a sliver. And, like, it turns out, like, I didn't understand the task at hand because I didn't have a concept of the full grasp of the amount of people that were going to be there. And uh, maybe you can relate if you were assigned a task at work or, or anywhere, really, um, and you have no understanding of the resolution. It can be very frustrating. Some of us might grumble. We may get lost somewhere along the way. So when we understand our present in light of God's future, what we mean really isn't like, well, I hope this really turns out okay. Well, hopefully it ends this way. What we mean is a certain future. A future that is so sure It's as sure as the sun will rise in the east tomorrow morning. And the sun does rise in the east, right? Yeah, yeah. Sets in the west. However, I think if you've attended church long enough, um, you may have heard a few different ways of how this whole thing will end. Will it end with all the Christians floating up into the sky? Or will the Lord come with power and authority? Honestly, it can be a very odd topic to talk about. And when we isolate it and separate the end, it can lead to a lot of weird and strange interpretations. It can lead to confusion. It can lead to conspiracy theorists, like the the video that floats around of a lady telling us that the monster is of the devil because of some weird sort of thing that somehow portrays, I don't know. It can also lead to complacency. As if, I'm saved, I'm good, I have no real need to attend church. I have no real need to gain something as I commune with the saints every Sunday and worship my Lord. I have no gain for that. It's wrong. 
and a, a misinterpretation of the end or, or a confusion about the end can also lead to a really m- misunderstanding of the age that we're in, and that's the church. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, his first words were, Matthew 6, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this, this is the theme of our series, Kingdom Come. Even this can be a little hard to understand. Like, are we supposed to pray for the end? Are we supposed to wait for the end? Are we, what are we up to right now? But what the Bible tells, I believe, is a different story, a continuous story, and that's why we're in Exodus today, one in which we have something to do and a task at hand. And that brings us to today, where we see all throughout Scripture that God is making for himself a people, a treasured possession, to live and to be with him, to rule, to fill, and subdue the earth with him. And I just want to highlight two verses just to show you that it it is a theme just woven all throughout Scripture. Exodus 6-7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then he ends it. Revelation 21, the the most beautiful chapter in the Bible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as, his, as their, their God. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible, go ahead and grab that out. We're going to be walking through it. And I want to show you today that in Scripture, God is making for himself a people to live and be with him. And to then show that to the world. This whole series will impact what, what those people are to do because they are, giving some, they are given something to do. So let's start back in the, in the Garden of Eden, all the way back at the beginning, just for one moment. It is Adam and Eve living harmoniously, living perfectly, living fully with their God. Complete individuals apart from sin as image bearers of their God to the world. Co-rulers, if you will. Many times through the creation story, God looks upon his creation and calls it good. But then what happens? The fall happens. Sin enters the world. And the people who were made to be with God are now separated from him. Why are they separated from him? This is important. It's because God is holy, and now we are not. Now all of humanity through Adam is no longer able to be 
in the presence of a holy and righteous God. But God, God is gracious and compassionate. So he then begins to recreate a way for his people to live and be with him once again. So later on in the story, God comes to Father Abraham, who had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And he makes a covenant with Father Abraham, promising to make him a great nation, to give him a land, and through whom all the nations would be blessed. And God does not ever go back on his promises. As this story picks up in Exodus, God's people have become a really big people. Like, Abraham was 100 years old, and like, I don't know, God, are you really going to do this? And God gives him Isaac. And then through that, creates this ginormous people. And in this story, they find themselves in slavery in the land of Egypt. In this land, God hears his people and stays true to his promises. Here the Lord mightily brings his people out of slavery, out of slavery in Egypt. Bringing the ten plagues upon Egypt and their Pharaoh, the last being the Lord wiping out the firstborn of every household except for those whom have obeyed the Lord and put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts. And God passes over that household. It was God who led them out of Egypt, never leaving them on their own. A pillar of cloud by day, he led them in a pillar of cloud by night. And then the Egyptians changed their mind. They started coming after him. They said, no, we don't want you to be free. So with the Egyptians fresh on their heels, looking to take them out, looking to wipe them out, what does God do? Like it's a tale as old as time, right? He parts the Red Sea. So that millions of Israelites can cross through on dry ground. And as the Egyptians chase after them, they're swallowed up. And God defeats their enemies and gives salvation to his people. And this, the whole purpose of this is Exodus 7-5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people, from is, people of Israel from among them. The whole point is so that they will know that he is God. And that brings us to our text today. So look with me. Exodus 19.1. On the third new moon, and that just means the third month. If people get crossed up on new moons, well, just the third month. On the third month after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. And here's our first point. That God makes a people for himself, and he meets them in the wilderness. What we see over and over and over again in the story of Exodus is God and Moses saying to the people of Israel, 
trust us. Here in the wilderness of Sinai, God has now led the people further away from their promised land than they were in Egypt. And still, the refrain, trust us. Let's not forget that the Lord has brought them here. They didn't just wander off and, oh, well, we we took a right and we should have took a left. So, though things may not seem at first to the people that this is how it should be going, like things aren't going like according to what they think the plan should be, like I think we can stop here and like sympathize with these people. And let's first apply it to our own lives when things may be getting hard to understand. Because I don't know about you, but as I read through the Pentateuch about the people of God in Israel, man, I can think to myself over and over again, you are so dumb. Like, stop making things so difficult. Just trust God. But, but then here's like, here's the best part. Like the Spirit tells me, like, you know who those people are? You know who the people who can't trust God are? That's me. Like that's you. That's us. So we now have a hope in what we think may be our setbacks that come our way. When relationships start getting hard, when we're struggling with our children, when our work becomes a toxic environment, and our life doesn't seem to be turning out the way we want it to. Like our setbacks now take a new meaning. In fact, I'm not really sure if setback is the right word. Because the wilderness now becomes the molding ground for the potter and the clay. Because it's here that God takes Israel out into the wilderness. And it's here that he meets them. It's where their relationship with their God becomes more intimate. So please don't think that that you're above being brought out into the wilderness. Jesus himself was brought into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. If God the Father did not spare his own son, if he is good to us, he will allow us to go into the wilderness. So, we bring a new purpose to the wilderness, with us to the wilderness. Asking questions like, what are you teaching me, Lord? Instead of asking, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt as slaves? Asking, what sin do I need to repent of, Lord? Instead of, why didn't you just leave my life the way it was? Or, Why has my life become all of a sudden so dadgum hard? So let us not forget that it's in in the middle of the wilderness is where the Lord meets us. And we look to the Lord out of the wilderness. Pressing on to to verse 2. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying thus you shall say to the house of Jacob 
and and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And then here we see our second point, that God makes makes a people for himself and then brings them unto himself. Like, look who is proactive here. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Look what I did. Look what I did. God's the proactive and the one acting here. All the works up to this point in the story are solemnly the work of God. To will and to work for his people. But they did, like, have to get up and leave, right? Friends, I, I really hope this morning, like, that, that the aroma of this story smells familiar to you. And if it doesn't, like, let it wash over you this morning. Because this is the story of God's chosen people. This is the story of Israel. But this is also the story of the new Exodus, Jesus Christ, through whom all who turn from their sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus in your place are brought to God. That though we were once slaves, by God's grace, he rescues his people out of darkness and brings them into light. That is, he brings them to himself because he is light, and in him there is no darkness. And it's here I want to tell you, God isn't trying to sell you something and pull a bait and switch. Like he, He's not Amazon, where your order is a really nice study Bible, and the seller takes your money and sends you an empty package in the mail, and then you're stuck trying to track down, how in the world do I get my money back? Just leaving me frustrated, out of money, and out of hope. No. Our God doesn't leave us without hope. This is specific. To come and be with a genuinely good dad. Not to come to a dad is who to a dad who is too busy for you or trying to pull a quick one on you like the Amazon dealer. Not to show us off like a show pony, not to mistreat us as dads have done with their children all throughout the history of the world. No. This is a dad who brings you to himself, who specifically made you, fearfully and wonderfully. And you were made to be with him. Friends, this is where wholeness is found. It's not trying to to make yourself great. It's not resting in what you're able to do. 
but where you find wholeness and where you find peace, that shalom is when you're living with the living God whose perfect performance is where we rest, whose perfect performance is where we worship. There is absolutely nothing greater that God could have gave them at Sinai. Nothing greater than himself. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't really have an accurate idea of what the whole of that means. I just have a really good idea that that's really freaking good. So as we continue in verse 5, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the house of Israel. Before we get into this next point, I just want to bring up a quote from Von Roberts. It is only after God has done his act of rescuing the people of Israel that then he says, Now you are my people. I've rescued you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Now, as my people, who I've rescued... This is how I want you to live. And it's the same for us Christian believers. You see, God is about to give them the law. But he wants them to know it's not the law that saves you. The law has never saved anybody. But those whom God saves, the law is how we live. And I specifically want to want to show you the order here of how they become God's people. Because as I think as Tim Keller said, like it's here from this point forward in Exodus 19 throughout the whole Bible that the rest of the Bible is to be understood. So if you would bring up my it is salvation first, obedience second, and blessing third. And we see this in in verse 4. You yourselves, seeing what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself salvation. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, obedience, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Blessing. Like, if we get this order out of whack, grace isn't grace. We are no longer worshiping the true and the living God of the Bible. If we get this order out of whack, it can also be very damaging to ourselves. It can be damaging to our children, our families, and others around us. Like, even if we were to say blessing first, it misconstrues life, right? Like, there's this... There's this 
condition now called affluenza. And I've looked it up here. It is a psychological malaise supposedly affecting wealthy young children, symptoms in which become include a lack of motivation, feelings of guilt, and a sense of isolation. If the blessing comes first, we won't know how to continue and live in life. Or even if the obedience part was to come first. Like, we would look to find hope in our obedience. And that can only have two ends. We will eventually grow so tired of the others around us who aren't measuring up. Or we realize, man, this is really hard. I can't do this. Peace out. And we walk away from the faith. So if we mess up the order, it can create fundamentalists or Pharisees, or it can even create heathens. However, when placed in the right order by the Spirit of God, we become worshipers of the one true God. And I don't know where you are today, whether you've been trying to make your way to God through your obedience or based upon something you, you might be doing or you just keep making promises to God. Or maybe you really aren't sure about this whole thing and you have questions. Like, we chill here after service. Like, all questions are welcome. Pastor Jordan usually stays up front. And uh, as the people of God, like, we want to welcome you today to join us and in restoration to God. Like, we got a thing tonight at 6, and it'll be pretty cool when we get together as the people of God and just worship. Come and join us. And lastly, God told all these things to Moses. Moses was the mediator between God and his people. However, we now have a greater mediator. Where Moses failed, Christ didn't. Christ is the perfect mediator, and he intercedes for the people according to the will of God. So let us recall this truth, that God has made a way for you to live and be with him. And you must receive it. It is by turning from trusting in yourself to trusting in Christ's perfect life, his perfect life of obedience, trusting in his death on your behalf, on your behalf, and trusting that his sin-conquering resurrection is enough. It's from this mountaintop that we now see. He will shape you through your own wilderness journey. And if you trust in him, he will bring you unto himself. Where from there, we can now freely obey him and receive the blessings and the riches and the mercies forevermore. And here, we have a new purpose. Look with me one more time to verse 6. 
and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We become a people with a purpose. We are a holy nation, a nation set apart in a kingdom of priests, meaning that the people are the means by which God will, as his plan unfolds more and more, bring the nations to knowledge of him. A people who have found wholeness in their life, not because of their performance, but because they are with the true and living God. The same is true for us. And I'm going to close with showing you this in First Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Rest in that today. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus saves us from slavery and death so that we can live and be with him to be a witness, to go and tell, to be a go-between between the kingdom of God and earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, that you came, you made a way. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into light, And you just continually to do the work. Lord, we worship you today. And we ask that you would call more. Add more. Do your work, Lord. And give us the strength to walk in obedience to your will. We pray this through Jesus' strong name. Amen.